Welcome to the Shannon Plan. My name is Kyle Posey. As always, I'm joined by Akash and Arafin. We have not talked about a 49ers loss in what seems like forever. So nine in a row, 49ers just beat the Raiders. 49ers were expected to blow the Raiders out. That did not happen. 37-34, the Jared Stidham, Brock Purdy shootout that you did not know was coming. That was something else. So we're going to talk about both sides of the ball. We're going to talk about the 49ers playoff chances and a little bit of everything everything else that's going on with the 49ers. So let's start with um, the playoffs because it's week 18. Like we don't really have to spend time talking about the Arizona Cardinals. The 49ers are up over two touchdown favorites. Everybody expects them to win. I don't think that the 49ers are going to slip up against another backup quarterback in the same manner that they did against the Raiders after the game. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, they kind of talked about it being a wake-up call. So let's kind of skip to the playoffs and the seedings. Before we hopped on here, Akash, we were debating look, would the 49ers rather be the two or the three seed? And this is all assuming the Eagles do what they did to the Giants the last time and just kind of blow them out of the water. The last time those two teams played a couple weeks ago, it was 48 to 22s. And based on the Vegas odds, the Eagles are also two touchdown favorites. They're assuming that the Eagles take care of business. So Eagles win, they are the one seed. 49ers win, they are the two seed. 49ers somehow do not beat the fighting David Blouse, they are the three seed. Would you rather be the two seed? Two home playoff games, wild card round, you will have to face, whether it's the Packers, whether it's Seahawks, whether it's the Lions. And then the next game, you do get the home playoff game. Or if you're the three seed, you get the home playoff game in the wild card round, and you get to face Daniel Jones and the Giants, who many people feel like is probably the weakest um, playoff team in, in either conference. So w- where are you at with that? Absolutely. So the scenario is once again, so if the 49ers do end up as a number two seed, which if they win on Sunday, which we expect them to, they will lock up the number two seed, assuming the Eagles win as well. So if the Packers win, they play on Sunday night football, irrespective of what happens, they control their own destiny. The Packers will then come to Levi Stadium to play the 49ers on wild card either Saturday or Sunday. If the Seahawks win and the Lions win, so the Seahawks win, Packers lose, then the Seahawks will travel to San Francisco to then play the 49ers. Say the Seahawks lose and the Lions win, then the Lions will then travel to San Francisco to play the 49ers. So really they could play either one of those teams. Um, I think if you're the 49ers, you would still want to stay in the two seed. I don't, well, for multiple reasons, I think one, you want multiple home playoff games before a potential NFC championship game in Philadelphia. It basically guarantees you home field except for Philly, um, which, you know, they've looked a little up and down. So you just never know. And then the other thing is, I feel like the other, at least two of the three opponents that you could face if you're the number two seed, whether that's Green Bay or Seattle, they're like familiar opponents. As in, you've played Seattle t- multiple times. You game plan for them. You know their, you know personnel in and out. Green Bay, you didn't necessarily play them this season, but you've played them multiple times last season. So you again very familiar with their coaching staff, their scheme, their personnel, etc. The Lions would be the only sort of quote unquote uncommon opponent. But even then, you played the Lions last season. The Giants would be kind of a curveball right? New coaching staff, Brian Dayball, 
they've kind of felt, you know, they've it feels like they've thrown the kitchen sink at multiple teams. Um, and they found, you know, ugly ways to win the season. And given just what they've accomplished so far this season, it feels like a team that would, you know, just play with house money. And that's the kind of team that you wouldn't want to face. So I, I would just feel, you know, you stay, you take care of business, stay at two seed, try to get those two home playoff games and take your chances with any one of those teams. Cause you know, I think the 49ers will be favored against all three of those teams. They present slightly different challenges depending on the opponent, but I, I think you would just, Take chances there. So when I'm looking at this, it just comes back to, to, you know, having multiple home games, right? I think it's that simple. When you're looking at the matchup, when you're looking at who the 49ers would potentially face, whether it's the Seahawks, whether it's the Packers, whether it's the Lions, each of those teams have a fatal flaw. They cannot stop the run. The Seahawks are 29th against the run using DVOA since week 10. The Packers are 27th and Detroit is 23rd. So these are bottom 10 rushing offenses, uh, sorry, rushing defenses. When you just go in by week 10 again, 49ers across the board are as good as it gets. So they are nearly doubled um, over the Chiefs in second place for total DVOA. They're second on offense, first passing defense, second rushing offense, first defense, uh, third (laughs) passing defense, Just go down the line, down the line, down the line. Even using EPA per play, which essentially the easiest way for me to describe that is I look at it as big plays, explosive plays. Defensively, they are more than double second place. And then offensively, they're in the top three and both, or sorry, in top five and both EPA per play and success rate. They... They're good at everything that they do and good probably doesn't do, is, is not an accurate descriptor just because they are borderline elite at everything they do. Why? That is because Christian McCaffrey on their offense, Brandon Ayuk's taking the next step, Brock Purdy, even with, you know, some of these turnover worthy plays, he's making up for it because he's pushing the ball down the field and that's opening up running lanes. And Jordan Elliott wrote a piece for us on NinersNation.com just speaking about the offensive line. So they are getting some very good blocking up front. And we're going to talk about some of the unsung heroes later on here, but no matter who they play, the 49ers have significant advantages on the ground. They can stop the run. They can run the ball. So they can make you one-dimensional offensively, and that is just the last thing you want. Against a pass rush, that already controls the game for the most part. So I understand the argument of just wanting to play a weaker opponent out of the gate, right, and that is the New York Giants. But we've seen what this team does against a Seattle Seahawks offense, Geno Smith, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, like they, they've done next to nothing in two games. I know that the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. I know Christian Watson is coming along. But when I watch the Packers, I come away with a much different um, takeaway than this is the team that nobody wants to face. Like they've been very fortunate, honestly, um, in the past few games. And it's Aaron Rodgers threw for 159 yards last game. I know that was a blowout, but 238, 229, 182, 140. And in these games, Two interceptions against the, the Eagles. Um, didn't throw an interception against the Bears, but he threw one against the Rams. He threw one against the Dolphins. Like he's put the ball in harm's way more often than that. And all of a sudden, the 49ers are taking advantage of those opportunities that they're getting when the ball is in the air. So I I don't fear the Packers at all. I, I don't look at this team. I look at them as a seventh seed. I don't think that they're one of those teams that are getting hot at the right time. Um, as far as the Lions go, I do think that they do present matchup problems. So you have DeAndre Swift, 
you have Monse Brown, you have Jameson Williams. So they have a very good offensive line as well, but it's Jared Goff. Like we know Jared Goff will crumble under pressure and that defense cannot stop a nosebleed. Yep. They are not good at all. So with all that in mind, I, I would agree. I, I think that the 49ers would be significant favorites no matter who they play. And honestly, I, I don't know what team in the NFC. Actually, I, I think Dallas would be the closest one to being um, favored over the 49ers. But outside of that, I, I would still imagine if the game's played at Levi Stadium, uh, the 49ers would have a little leg up there. So, yeah, it, it's a 2C here. So let's let's flip the script here and let's go back to what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. And defensively, like the 49ers just gave up 34 points to a quarterback who has never made a start in his career. Yes, that quarterback had Devontae Adams, one of, if not the best receiver in the NFL. He also had a, a matchup nightmare in tight end Darren Waller. But Jared Stidham was throwing the ball all over the place against the 49ers. So he had 365 yards. With, with Without checking, I would imagine that's the most any quarterback has thrown against uh, the 49ers this season. Mahomes. Oh, there, there is that Mahomes guy. I forgot about that. I, I've erased that, that game from my memory. But to be second place to Patrick Mahomes, like think about it. Uh, that is very impressive. So Stidham did throw a pair of interceptions, but he picked up 34 yards on the ground. He, he was pushing the ball down the field, and I think that's been the, the biggest takeaway. Or maybe – the biggest concern when you're watching the 49ers as of late over the past month or so, despite their success defensively, I mean, you can reel off all the stats. They're top three across the board. They're giving up big plays and these completions over 20 yards are adding up, whether that is because, you know, Talano Funga is not where he needs to be. There are times where like the Devonte Adams one, where I think it was 60 yards Hufunga just vacates his man, and that man is the best receiver in the NFL. That is Devontae Adams. Like you, you can't make those mistakes in a playoff scenario, or he's having he's having plays where he's just not watching the ball, right? Or he he's getting his eyes caught in the backfield, play action, guy runs right by him, and now a big play happens. Or you go to Diamondor Lenore. That has been an issue, and that was going to be an issue in my mind. When you're looking at when you go back to Miami, like I thought he was going to have an issue against those speedsters. He really didn't. But over the course of the last month, we're seeing teams attack him. A team we always talk about the mark. Who was the mark for Kyle Shanahan? And it seems like those two, uh, whether it's Lenore, whether it is uh, Talano Ufunga, defenses are going out of their way to attack those two, and they're having a lot of success. Or sorry, offenses are, and they're having a lot of success doing so. So if, if Jared Stidham could have success. You would imagine an Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs would do so as well. And what's crazy is Charvarius Ward is playing very well and arguably uh, having a top 10 season. He's not giving up anything. He's getting his hands on passes, but still there are liabilities. And and I would say Lenore surely falls under uh, the liabilities. I believe he is bottom 10 in receiving yards allowed per target. So it, it's an issue. There's no doubt about it. And when you have that big of um, a wart on your defense, like it's tough to hide. So do you think this will come back to bite the 49ers, whether it's Lenore giving up big plays, whether it's Hufunga giving up big plays? Um, will they be able to overcome it because the defensive line is so dominant, because the linebackers are as good as it gets in the NFL? 
what do you see happening when it comes to Lenore Nufunga when it matters? I feel like we talked about it a few weeks ago when we went through some of the weaknesses maybe on both sides of the ball and just what gives us a little pause for concern, which isn't to take away from the fact that the 49ers defense is still elite across the board and number one and basically every category you can think of, but a couple areas where I think they could be exploited come playoff time by the right opponent and given the right game situation, they're 27th in DVOA defending uh, deep passes, which are passes over 16 air yards. So they're basically bottom five uh, when it comes to defending anything over 16 air yards. They're also 22nd in DVOA defending the pass on third down. So third and long, these third down passes seems to be their kryptonite. And generally, like you've mentioned, it's come by way of either Talano Funga or Diamador Lenore. There's been some uncharacteristic coverage busts that we had, we've just not necessarily seen from this defense in years past. Um, it's come at the cost of some turnovers, right? They've come up with some game-changing interceptions or turnovers, but at the same time, there's there has there have been some mistakes, and that really bit them on Sunday. And I think, you know, looking at first-round opponents, we were talking about this. A team like Detroit can certainly take advantage of that. A team like Green Bay has the speed with Christian Watson. Um, you look ahead, you know, Dallas with C.D. Lamb and um, their weapons. And then Philadelphia, obviously, with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And um, assuming they get Goddard back for the playoffs, like all these teams have, you know, not just one or two weapons, but they've got multiple guys that can threaten you at all levels of the field. And I think it's something that the 49ers have to clean up. And like you mentioned before we hit record, it's something – that especially Talano Funga, who you know we praised early on in the season for all those interceptions and using his eyes and reading plays and get, and being just a tick fast, and it feels like the pendulum has swung the opposite way, where we're getting all the negative plays but not necessarily all the splash plays, and that's just hurting the 49ers right now. And I think they would just prefer that he be somewhere in the middle where you just you just get fundamentally sound play and just keep everything in front of you and just avoid you know, the game-changing big plays behind you, even if it meant that he doesn't produce as many turnovers because the rest of the defense is elite and the teams are going to come at your weakness. And that just seems to be their their weakness right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to come back to the matchup. Will quarterbacks have enough time to exploit that advantage? And we're talking about a, a sample size of, so let's say there are 60 to 65 plays over the course of the game. Hufunga and Lenore just have to not give up those four to five plays a game, right? And unfortunately, that's been happening, whether it's one, whether it's two, whether it's three. And, and that can make all the world of a difference. We've seen, I mean, in the playoffs, you know, everything, you're not going to have as many plays. Possessions are far more valuable. So that turnover, that big play could be the difference. And we've seen it be the difference for the 49ers against the 49ers over the last few seasons. So, and speaking of turnovers, let's let's segue to Brock Purdy. So I thought he played well, Um against the Raiders. And I know that he did have an interception. I know that he could have thrown a couple more, but I thought that he answered the bell. So for the first time all season, we see, we saw Brock Purdy play from behind for the entire game. And when I mentioned that, somebody uh, pointed out to me, well, they were down seven to three against the Dolphins. Yes, that is true. Nobody is debating that. What I'm saying is uh, this was a far different story. Like it never felt like in the Dolphins game, the 49ers were threatened or the 49ers were going to come out of that game uh, losing. Against the Raiders, they were down 24 to 14. 
I believe that was in the third quarter, but it didn't seem like the defense was going to get a stop anytime soon. So the offense had to continue to put the pressure on, continue to add points on the board. And that is in large part to Purdy. Christian McCaffrey had a hell of a game. He He's an amazing player. Everybody is aware of that. Ray McLeod had big plays. Brandon Ayuk had big plays. So did George Kittle. But I think you, you need some leadership from your quarterback. You need your quarterback to hit on throws. He had throws where he missed. We talked about that before we got on here. But I still thought he answered the bell when he needed to. In the in the in his first chance at adversity, his first real adversity in the NFL, I thought Brock Purdy came through. And that was refreshing to see because you never know what was going to happen, right? He could have crumbled. There were plays where he's still avoiding the free rusher. Um, there were plays where the scheme is there and he he goes through his second read and now he's first down. Um, there, there are so many examples where I just thought that he had an opportunity to fail and he didn't. And in my mind, we saw how many times we've we seen Jimmy get away with not throwing an interception and he bounces back. So it was a lot of the same for Purdy. He has a great supporting cast, but in the playoffs, again, those turnovers, like, are we sure the 49ers will be able to get away with that? Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the other side. Uh, like go down the line. It's Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, or hopefully in the Super Bowl is Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. So y- you have to take care of the ball. There's no doubt about it. Will we see that come back to bite the 49ers and that being the turnover bug? Yes and no is hard to predict, just given the fact that Brock Purdy has, at least leading up to this game, done a better job of protecting the ball. I thought there were a couple plays, like you mentioned, that got away from him. It felt like watching him the first time where the moment felt a little too big for him. I don't want to say shook or anything like that, but there was a stretch there in the second half where it felt like you know, he was missing some receivers. Um, it just felt like he was, you know, for the first time, it felt like he wasn't completely under control, poised, composed, etc. cetera, um, which isn't to say, you know, um, he let that completely get away from him because they still had a couple drives in the fourth quarter, one to come back and tie the game, one to potentially, you know, win the game where when Robbie Gold missed the field goal. So, you know, uh I would also say there was some resiliency based off of that struggle, but yeah, I think, I think it's a good, um, uh, good learning point. I think for Brock Purdy and this and the 49ers offense, just given the fact that they struggled a little bit and it felt like for the last few weeks, they just didn't face much adversity whatsoever. And that was always concerning heading into the playoffs just because they weren't necessarily tested. And so there was no, there's no experience there if in the playoffs, if in an elimination game, all of a sudden Brock Purdy starts to struggle. You're like, oh man. And it was good to see him go through that type of adversity and then overcome it on Sunday. And no better way, I feel like, to be able to learn from those lessons is after a win like that. It, it would I feel like it would feel a little different if it was after a loss, but they managed to pull out, pull out the win. So I feel like it was kind of the best of both worlds, if that makes sense. And it's easier to talk about knowing that they didn't come back to bite him. Um, Same with the defense, right? They were able to answer the bell. They didn't get a stop for almost three and a half or two and a half quarters. But in the final uh, in the final stand there, the defense really came alive. A lot of that is because of some of the players that don't show up in the box score and some stats here. So everybody knows Nick Bosa is going to be the defensive player of the year. Like once again, he 
he is a guy who can go a game and he doesn't sure he's going to lead the, the league in sacks but for example his best play last game was walking colton miller back into the quarterback's lap forcing an errant throw tayshawn gibson is inter, is the recipient he's able to intercept the pass and the 49ers brock purdy only has to take a knee in overtime. Like that just tells you how dominant the defense was. And that is because of a guy like Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead. He's splitting double teams on fourth and goal from the one yard line. He throws a guy to the side, makes a tackle on one knee. Those are the plays like that would never show up. Like sure. It counts as a run stop, but there's no real way to quantify those type of plays. Mike McGlinchey is another one. Mike McGlinchey, um, Steph Sanchez actually does a great job. She cut up all of his reps against Colton Miller, who is a borderline elite edge rusher. He is a quality, quality player. Um, Max Crosby. Who did I say? Colton Miller. <laughs> Colton Miller. Holy smokes. We're getting these Raiders confused. Yeah, Max Crosby is a great player. And Mike McGlinchey more than held his own against him. So that is how the 49s are operating. They're getting so much from – I mean, a little bit of everybody, it seems. It helps to have a bunch of good players, but when your players like Trent Williams, like Fred Williams, Fred Williams, Fred Fred. Warner, (laughs) have an off game, then you're going to have to have somebody else to step up. And sure enough, the 49ers were able to get that. So, I mean, as we said, Bosa, is he's a lock right now for the defensive play of the year, but I don't think Eric Armstead gets enough love. Mike McGlinchey, like, it feels like most of us – non-Niners Nation have been hyping him up for the second half of the season because, again, over a 60-play sample size in a game, if McGlinchey makes two mistakes and they could be glaring, they could be a sack, bench him. Why is he on the team? But those other 58 plays, you never hear from him. And for the most part, over the past month, two months, we are never talking about number 69 at right tackle. That is a great thing. Um, Looking back at this game, whether it's Armstead, whether it's Bosa making those not splash plays, but game-changing plays, or McGlinchey holding his own. What stands out to you? What do we need to do to make sure that these guys are getting their credit? The easiest way, and a lot of us do this, is just highlighting some of the good things that they've been doing, right? Whether for Mike McGlinchey, I know Steph, Steph Sanchez said that he hasn't given up a sack in eight games, I think, or nine games. I think his last sack was against Kansas City. And since then, he's been clean in their nine-game winning streak. So it's just things like that. And he's been playing much better. And I know Chris Forster talked about it, uh, the offensive line coach this past week, that a lot of his issues aren't necessarily physical. It's just mental, right? He lets things snowball. When you have when he has one bad fall start, he's so angry, annoyed, or whatever about it, it snowballs into another one. And they're trying their best to corral that into like, okay, you know, you have a mistake, whatever. You're going to get beat. It happens. There's great players. Defensive players get paid on the other side, too. Just move on to the next play. I think Trent Williams has been a big asset for McGlinchey, and he's played really, really well. And um, it's always nice to be able to highlight those type of stats and numbers for offensive linemen or or clips that show, you know, some of these high-leverage situations. Like, look at what Mike McGlinchey's doing. Like, on the Brock Purdy touchdown where he kind of spins out and finds Kittle in the back of the end zone, Mac Trosby tries to put a spin move on Mike McGlinchey, has absolutely nowhere to go. And it was a great rep. And it's just highlighting those type of things. And on the flip side, Eric Armstead. Because a lot of people come back at the end of the season and they're like, well, Eric Armstead doesn't have sacks or he doesn't have tackles or this or that. And it's like on, you know, on these given plays, he's doing a lot of the dirty work where 
He's f- taking on double teams to free up other guys. He's splitting double teams to make a run stop, <laughs> you know, uh, in the backfield. Or on fourth and goal, he's shedding Colton Miller, taking on the fullback and making a stop. And it's like those kind of plays, you know, you really have to be able to watch and point out uh, in order for those guys to get their credit. And I think sort of, you know, along the defensive line and the offensive line, it's a little easier to point out versus, you know, linebackers in space where, you know, you really have to explain what their assignment is or what they see and what they're doing. And yeah, I think um, especially in the 49ers universe, I feel like when things are going well, players certainly do get their credit because there's enough people that watch the game closely, rewatch it, go through the numbers, et cetera, and, and throw love at all these players. And so, yeah, those two guys definitely deserving on both sides of the ball. Armstead is tied for second in the NFL among all defensive tackles in pressure since he's came back. So in the last month or so, he is a guy, in my opinion, that is comfortably one of the five best defensive tackles in the NFL. So you have the best edge rusher, arguably, and uh, one of the best defensive tackles, arguably. Then you add Fred Warner, who many would consider one of, if not the best linebacker. So you have legitimately the three best players at their position in the front seven. That is why the 49ers, that's why it's tough to be concerned. Sorry. It's tough to think that opposing offenses will get over on the 49ers, whether it's the big plays that we just talked about, because again, they, they have dominant players, not just good players, not just serviceable players, legitimately the best players at their position. And um, it's, what Armstead is doing, it sucks that we rely on stats like sacks and quarterback hits because, like, if you didn't know any better, um, Armstead is just a middling player. But when you watch him, when you watch 91 in there, he just he makes the world of a difference. And um, in the playoffs, I, I think people are going to start to see because, I mean, unless they play a, a team that's very good up front like the Detroit Lions, uh, Seattle and Green Eagles. Bay. They just, yeah, Eagles is another good one. Uh, but most teams – when when they're one on one against Armstead, like he just bullies him and he makes you look very foolish. So, I mean, he's not really an unsung player. That that would probably go to a guy like uh, T.Y. McGill, who's who's been playing really four very pressures well on Sunday for them. Yeah, and that's that's another thing where I mean, Chris Cosser gets all the credit for that. Where they just shuffle in guys left and right, and you would have no idea. Sometimes, like called them up from the practice squad the day before, put them in there all like the last sudden, week. Yep. <laughs> seriously like and he produced too so it seems like no matter who's on the field they are getting production out of them along the defensive line so um kudos to that to first of all the personnel department for finding guys that fit what chris coseric wants to do and then kudos to coseric for getting squeezing every ounce of talent out of these guys so um i I do want to go back to the offense because the i mean for all the mistakes that we're talking about with Purdy, they still scored 37 points. And I know it was the Raiders, but when you're just thinking of um, this is a team who they, they haven't had Debo Samuel the last couple of games, right? So he's going to come back. Christian McCaffrey is day-to-day with an ankle sprain. So we need to see, like, to me, it would make sense to just put him on ice, right? Give him a week off, let that ankle heal. Elijah Mitchell, I imagine maybe by the time people are listening to this, will be activated from the injured reserve. They're – excuse me, they're going to open his practice window. So in the final game that we're looking at, Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason, do you think Mitchell would return as RB1 or does that go to Mason? Uh, where does Ty Davis Price fit into this? So this is all under the assumption that 
McCaffrey just doesn't play, which might be a wild assumption. We might be going too far there since he is considered day to day. Just like, why would you play McCaffrey right in in a game that it's far from meaningless? But you don't need McCaffrey to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Totally agree, and I think he's got some individual records maybe that uh, he wants to shatter, and maybe that's why they play him. Um, I saw someone just say that he's 99 yards away from 1,900 scrimmage yards. Um, I know there's a couple other records, um, whether it's rushing or all-purpose yards, that he's chasing. So maybe that's why he plays. But um, effectively, I think you can get by without McCaffrey, especially if Elijah Mitchell's back. Still have Jordan Mason. Still have Ty Davis Price. And you're you're playing a Cardinals team that, you know, probably mentally is in Cancun for the last month. Um, and Cliff just, might literally be in Cancun, honestly, but yeah, no joke. And so, yeah, I think you know you're thinking big picture. You're thinking playoffs. You're thinking Super Bowl. And so you got to be able to make sure that Christian McCaffrey, who's might be their best player right now, either him, him or Nick Bosa, you just got to make sure he's 100 percent healthy and not you know jeopardizing that ankle going into the playoffs. And so, you know, to answer your question, I do think Elijah Mitchell comes back and probably takes that. RB1 spot, it just feels like the 49ers would prefer to have Jordan Mason more in a closing role, second half, you know, where they are in more run-favorable situations. I feel like they would prefer Jordan Mason in that spot, but in neutral down spots, early in the games, I think they would just ride with Christian McCaffrey or Elijah Mitchell. So Mitchell's good to go, which is pretty insane that here's MCL, what, five, six weeks ago, and he's back, and he's just going to hit the ground running. He looked great after his return last time. Looked still as explosive and just had that burst to him, so hopefully he's able to reproduce that. And I think, you know, Kyle Shanahan said this a couple weeks ago, he wants to be able to get those guys coming back from injury, some reps in the regular season, because those guys that just come back cold in the playoffs are the ones that generally struggle the most. Just trying to get their, you know, uh, legs underneath them, so... I would expect to see a little bit of Elijah Mitchell and a little bit of Debo Samuel too this week, just so that they, you know, their first game back from injury isn't the wild card elimination round, um, potentially against the Green Bay Packers. So I think we see both of them this week, and you know, I don't, I don't think the game plan is going to be anything crazy. I think it's going to be more vanilla stuff against the Cardinals, but it's more about just getting those guys right heading into the postseason. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to get Debo the ball, right? And and it could be something as simple as screens or something. I mean, just the, the way that they always find a way to get Debo, screens, slants, something underneath. And the same with Elijah Mitchell. Just the way, just as you said, uh, get them back into the swing of things, right? Because the last thing you want is for them to um, – It it's not as if they've missed an entire season, but having a month, three weeks, however long it will be, um, having that time off, going in cold – to a playoff game, a, a winner-takes-all scenario is the last thing you want. So um, the last thing I want to touch on is just how uh, th- this happens every game. It's nothing new. But I, I really enjoy watching the 49ers afterwards, the rewatch, how everybody celebrates for each other, how everybody celebrates with each other. Uh, Juwan Jennings, Debo wasn't even playing, and he was on the sideline uh, celebrating with the guys. Brennan Ayuk uh, runs across the field. George Kittle does the same thing. I think that really rubs off, and it – it's not the reason they score points. The reason they score points is because they have a bunch of good players and the best play caller in the NFL. But I really appreciate that side of the football uh, for the 49ers. And it, it makes this team enjoyable because you can tell no matter who has the ball, no matter who's getting targeted, they generally or genuinely want to play for each other and care about each other. And I think that's very cool. Um, when we're talking a week from now, 
Who are the 49ers going to be playing? I think the 49ers are going to be the number two seed, and I think they're going to be playing the Green Bay Packers. And we hit on this before we we hit record. The Packers control their own destiny. If they win, they'll be the seventh seed. I think the 49ers take care of business. I think the Eagles win. I think, you know, quote-unquote, it's chalk this week. And I think the biggest thing in that Green Bay-Detroit game is the fact that it's at Lambeau. Week 17, Aaron Rodgers knows what's at stake. I think Jared Goff in the cold. I don't know what the weather is in Wisconsin, but I'm sure it's frigid. Um, just doesn't sound like a great matchup. I think the Packers take advantage of that defense. They know, they know what's at stake. Feels like they've got some momentum going. So I think I think they'll be the that'll be the matchup. It'll be fascinating to see when the NFL decides to slot it in. Right. So we got two Saturday games, the three Sunday games, and the Monday night game. I imagine it's going to be either the Sunday afternoon or the Sunday night game, just because Packers Niners, huge brands, big NFC game, Aaron Rodgers, 49ers, they love that storyline. And you just look at the other potential matchups. I think either this one or the Cowboys Bucks seems to have the most fanfare. So I, I would think it catches one of those Sunday slots. Cowboys Bucks seems like that afternoon, um, that Joe Buck, Troy Eggman game where 49ers Packers, it's Aaron Rodgers, um, it's the 49ers. These two teams, they've met nine times since 1996 in the playoffs. It seems like, especially you know in the last decade or so, they're meeting every other year. I think that's the primetime matchup that everybody wants to see. Aaron Rodgers against the best defense. You get Kyle Shanahan. Um, so many stars in that game. So that, that'll be fun. I, I agree. I do wonder if people are kind of putting um, – too, giving the Packers too much credit here. The last time they played the Lions, yes, it was in Detroit, but it was in November. It wasn't that long ago. And Green Bay didn't score a touchdown, I believe. It, the score was 15-9. to 9. So maybe the Lions come up with a game plan. It would be a cool story to have Dan Campbell, you know, second year after everything that would they've be gone cool. through make the playoffs. That, that would make for a great story. But I, I do tend help to agree. Too. Yeah, they do. I, and that's another thing. And people are – People are making it seem like, you know, that the NFL wants the Packers in the playoffs based on the time slot. But I, it, it would have been tough no matter what. It, it makes sense to put them in that slot. And you, you can't do much about, you know, the Seattle game. So Better than Titans-Jags. Also true. Um, <laughs> Which is the other win and in game. And I, I would much rather watch Packers-Lions than Trevor Lawrence go up against Josh, Josh Dobbs. Dobbs. Okay, that'll do it for us. You know, we'll be talking next week. We'll be talking about the playoffs, so can't complain about that. We will see who the opponent is. Please rate, subscribe, review, leave us five stars wherever it is you get your podcast. Happy New Year to everybody. Thanks for rolling with us all last year. We're going to try to continue to grow this bad boy this year. 49ers keep winning. It'll be easy to talk about. So uh, follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show. Akash, where can we find you? at twitter at a-k-a-s-h-a-n-a-v appreciate everyone for listening happy new year not a huge 49ers week this week but we will have a playoff game at levi stadium next week which is awesome to think about and we'll be back once again go niners